if anybody's complaining about stuff now, they really have not paid attention to history or the last couple of decades because right now with the assets and the capabilities that are available to you on a cell phone, right now is the most opportune time to become self-made and self-financed and become whatever you want than there's ever been in the history of humankind. I mean, it really is a unique situation. I don't know if it's going to get better or worse from here, but this is the pinnacle of, of you know, human uh, freedom to, to create yourself. I mean, you have one viral video on you know, TikTok or Instagram, and now you've got opportunities presented to you. It's up to you to capitalize on them. But also, you've got, you've got an endless, endless supply of communication and contacts. And there's a world out there that you can be connected to at a moment's notice that you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, that opportunity did not exist. So if anybody's saying that the American dream is for one person or for the other, I'm saying if you have an internet access, you have every single opportunity that anybody else has. Just do you have the willingness to make the sacrifice that it's going to take to to go through it? And it's like that family thing we talked about is everybody has the option of saying no. It's like, well, you don't understand there's consequences. There's consequences to, to every action, but you always have a choice. You might not like the consequences of the choice, but you always have a choice. This is episode number 195 with Ryan Williams. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the American Sippets podcast. Once again, my name is Dave Brown. I'm your co-host here, along with my partner, Barbara Allen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Uh, our guest today, Ryan Williams, grew up on welfare and never graduated high school, but he didn't let any of that stop him from building his own American dream. Ryan spent 10 years in the military before moving into the entrepreneurial space. And since then, he's built and sold several successful businesses. And today he is the CEO of another company he's built into a massive success. Industry Threadworks has become the go-to company for apparel brands that want to find solutions to their problems and crush their own goals. Ryan ye Ryan's years of experience in business, coupled with the iron will he's honed throughout his entire life, has turned this former Navy SEAL into a leader in his industry. In this episode, Ryan opens up the vault to his personal and professional experiences that led him to where he is today. He shares his insight and the power of relationships and how to make big decisions about their value. And he also drops one of the biggest lessons he's learned when moving into business after 10 years as a SEAL and lets us in on a big change about to take place at his company. So without further ado, here is Barbara Allen with Ryan Williams. You're listening to the American Snippets Podcast. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of American Snippets. I'm your co-host, Barb Allen. Today, I have the immense pleasure of sitting down with Ryan Williams. Ryan, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me, Barb. All right. So you have a history of building businesses and selling them and learning so much and growing, and you are super transparent on your social media about that process and how it goes. And I'm imagining, I can see actually people getting a lot of value about it. Let's go back a little bit and talk about your early days, how you got to start. Cause I noticed that you were open about putting that out there as well. You didn't have the super easiest of beginnings in in the world. 
you grew up um, with your two siblings and you were you were on welfare in your early, early years? Yeah, we were really poor growing up. Yeah. Um, like we, I had to make a Christmas tree when we couldn't afford a Christmas tree. So I, I folded up a cardboard box into like this pyramid triangle and then we wrapped it with green wrapping paper. And that was our, our Christmas tree one year. Um, but it was like, I, I think a lot of people experience growing up poor is like, I didn't feel, I didn't feel like we were poor. I knew we didn't have money, but I never felt like we were poor. It's not like we were, you know, couldn't eat or anything, but, um, we definitely didn't have, <laughs> didn't have money or making a Christmas tree out of a cardboard box, but we had a great, uh, home life. My mom was awesome. Uh, my dad wasn't around that time, but, uh, we had a lot of love in the family and it was, it was good. It just, you know, wasn't, didn't have money. No, I hear that. And actually, and I asked, uh, there's a lot of things, you know, that are going to connect with different people in different ways. Right. And so for me, when I'm reading that and I'm looking at that, I was a single mom raising my four boys after my husband was killed. So, you know, when I see a story of a, of a mom raising her kids in tough times and coming through it as well, what are some things that your mom did, um, that you remember that had a specific impact on you and your guys's ability to kind of stay positive and, and focus, like you said, that left you after all that, just remembering the love. Yeah, you know it's funny. I think because I was a teenager at the time, you never appreciate anything when you're a teenager. Everything sucks. Everybody sucks. It's like you're the smartest person in the world. You have all the answers, and nobody understands you, and super angsty. And I, I was that kid. I was pissed off about everything. Um, one of the things I came to really appreciate about my mom was that uh, when we're growing up poor, she finally had a point where she was raising me and my little brother and sister on her own on welfare. And she's like, I'm, I'm tired of being poor. Like, I'm just tired of it. I'm going to go do something and make my own, make my way. I don't know what that looks like yet, but I'm going to do it. And at the time, uh, Macs were starting to become popular as personal computers and people were still utilizing like the double space on typewriter. Like people were transitioning from using a typewriter to uh, computer. And there was a lot of like, you know, it, it's not as simple as it seems. And so she wrote a book basically, uh, taking like how to, how to utilize a computer in the new age of like typography and what the assets are and like how to use it. But she's a fantastic writer. So she's able to take a really kind of boring topic. And, uh, a lot of these computer program books, like how, like a manual on how to operate the computer and make it a fun and entertaining experience. And that really resonated with a lot of people. Uh, but she created the first book. I think it was called The Mac is Not a Typewriter. It was the first book. And uh, she had never been a publisher before. And she wrote it. And she thought it was really good. And she sent it out to, I want to say like 70 or 100 different publishers. And they all told her no. And she's like, well, I, I know this is going to work. Like, I know this is needed. And she finally told them, like, look, like, if you guys aren't going to do this, I'm going to do it myself. And she went through the process. She was going to start a, uh, her own printing press and she was going to name a little red, little red hen press. She's like a little red hen did everything by herself. She's like, fine, like screw you guys. I'm going to do it by myself. And there was one publishing company, uh, called peach pit press, really small, uh, that they heard her story. And they're like, look, if you believe in your product this much that you're willing to start your own printing press to get this out there, we will, we will give it a shot. So they gave it a shot. It become, it became, uh, their number one best selling book in the category by, by far it was translated like 24 different languages. We got to go. And so she, that was very successful within that little niche. 
so she started to uh, get some money coming in, and she basically went from you know poverty to making you know low mid low mid six figures uh, entirely on her own, and that all happened within you know probably twelve months. And I was uh, I think fifteen at the time, and uh, you know just angry at everything, and I had already kind of grown up at that point. I was I was like thirteen. But my little brother and little sister were four years, uh, my little brother's four years younger than me, my little sister's uh, four years younger than him. And they, I think my mom felt bad about us not having money when I was growing up, even though I didn't, you know, I was too young to really care. So she ended up like sending my little brother and sister to college and like kind of trying to like make up for this you know, what she might've perceived as like a loss in childhood to them. And I don't know, I, I don't get along with my little brother and sister. I haven't talked to them oh. probably a decade or so or more. Yeah. Oh, wow. Because yeah, we're, we're just different people. Yeah. They're good people, but I mean, yeah, they, they went to college on my mom's dime and, and they just took some stupid courses and never did anything with their lives and make no money. There's still a leeching offer to this day. And I'm like, I, I just, I don't, can't accept that yeah and uh so it really makes me mad so i'm like dude you're just not the kind of people i want to have in my life so i just stopped hanging out with them and that's that i haven't talked to him in uh, at least at least 12 years wow there's so much in there there's so much in that in that five <laughs> minutes um and i never met your mom but i love her man i know like how how hard that is. And I can also connect to wanting to make up for things that you feel your kids missed out on. Like I, I totally get that. I am guilty of that four times over, you know? Um, so, and I see the pros and cons and I do see the impact. Like you said, it's very interesting how you, how you separated that and noticed that, you know, you had a the sort of work for things that your siblings didn't, and this is the path that you took and they didn't. And there's a lot of people who even struggle with the concept of understanding when you have to sort of sever ties with people in your lives to different degrees, like, you know, the whole power of proximity thing, I, I triage the people in my life and in, and according to like the impact they have on me, the value they have on me, the value I can provide yeah. to them. And there's a time oh, and place and more people know. should do that. Right. And so, you know, when you need to like scratch this itch, you have this circle that you go to and that's right. But, uh, there's a lot of people that say to me, they could never do that because people are family and, I don't know. When you share that story, do you get feedback or pushback from people? Do people like, do well, they yeah, I think people that, that thing about family, family only means what it, what you assign the meaning to it. You know what I mean? It, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything by itself. It's just genetic lottery. So I don't feel there's any obligation for me to keep somebody in my life that isn't a net positive just because I have some genetic markers associated with them. And that goes with, that goes with everybody. Like my dad's a great guy, but I didn't talk to him for five years. Cause he was, you know, pissed me off and he had some growing up to do. And he's a little selfish. And thankfully the woman that he married now is fantastic. She's an angel and she's really helped him become, uh, I think a better person and, and a better dad. So now I have a little brother uh, who's uh, 14. So I'm 43 and he's 14. So my dad, uh, uh Cause my little, my little brother and little sister with a, they have their own dad, but it's not my dad. So they're a step or a half. But now my little 14 year old brother is awesome. And my dad is like such a fantastic dad to him. Um, it wasn't around much when I was a kid, but that was a whole other thing where he's like, yeah, dude, I don't know. In, in my dad's mind, that was a big deal. My mind was like, 
dude, I don't, I don't care. You're not around. That's fine. It wasn't, it was never ever an issue for me to not have a dad in my life. I was always okay with that. Um, it did present some interesting, uh, deficiencies in humor though, when I got into the SEAL teams, because I had been around my mom and my mom's like super hippie. So, uh, I'd been around her group of people and, and mostly women growing up. And so I didn't understand guy humor at all. And, uh, there was a lot of times in the SEAL teams where I just, they would say something and everybody else would laugh and be like, I have no idea what they're talking about. Right now. <laughs> but ultimately at the end of the day, I, I think family is what you define it as. And these days, uh, I'm, I'm probably not as close to my mom as I, I should be. She's a fantastic person. I just don't talk to her very often. Um, and I'm not close with pretty much anybody else in my family. I haven't talked to any of my grandma or aunts or uncles or anything in years and years and years. And I, I probably won't. I mean, honestly, when, when a lot of them die, I probably won't go to funeral. I just, I mean, it sounds callous and in a lot of people's minds, it really is. Um, but I've just, I think done a really maybe too good job of <laughs> triaging what I care about <laughs> and what yeah. I focus on. And I had a really uh, deep conversation about this with uh, a friend of mine at uh, the Avengers mastermind group uh, three weeks ago. And he's on the other end of the spectrum. He's like all about family and super powerful for him. And I'm, you know, on the other end of it, like more analytical approach. And I think, I think the probably best way to do that is, you know, find a middle ground and a balance. Like I'm very extreme on one end and I, I, be the first to say my approach to you is probably not the best approach for somebody to model, but I think it is uh, a powerful example that you don't have to give a shit about anything just because somebody says you have to care about it. You always have the option of saying no. And I think people should say no to more things that, that don't serve them um, and that, that don't further them towards becoming a better person or towards their goals or a better life. And I think way too many people settle for that, that, you know, old saying like, Oh, it's family. I can't do anything about it. You can do whatever you want about it. And this is part of the conversation I had with the guy who was super family oriented. I told him, so like, Hey, look, well, maybe, uh, you know, what if, uh, cause he's, I think 29. I was like, what if, you know, a woman came into your life and she had a five-year-old kid and she told you, Hey, this is your son. You, you would you love them? He's Oh, of course. Automatically. Okay, cool. And automatically you're going to love this person. Now, what if two minutes later she tells you, oh, you know what? I made a mistake. Sorry, he's not actually your son. Now, does that love just instantly go away? Is that something that that you can control? And if so, that does mean that you have control over it. You're not obligated to be in love with people just because of the genetic you know, material that you share. You have a choice. And it's just that we're so family-oriented through society of like, you have to, you have to, you have to, that people sometimes forget that you have the option of saying, you have the option of saying no. And it's going to be taken, you know, uh, callously by a lot of people, but ultimately at the end of the day, it, it, it's your life and you have to live by the rules and the set definitions of right and wrong that you define for yourself. And as long as you're comfortable with what those definitions are, then it really doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. I am. I have a feeling it is not easy to make it inside your inner circle, <laughs> but that's, <laughs> but you know, but that's, that's a good thing. I think, um, I think the happiest people who are most at peace with themselves that I know and, and where they are in life or where they're going in life are those people who have a very tight 
first layer inner circle, you know, um, where they just have no problem setting those boundaries. And it's not like you have to cut everybody else entirely out of your life. I, for me, it's like they're faced, they're faced out, you know, um, in yeah. certain, in certain doses. Right. And I know that that's where I fall in other people's circles. And so I don't take that personally. When I recognize that somebody else has me like on their second tier or third tier, I'm like, okay, I get it. Um, you know, and here's mm -hmm. why. And then if I'm interested in moving into the other tier, then I have to look at what I need to do. And if I'm not, then I just accept it. Right. But I no longer hold it against that person if I'm on their second or third tier, um, because I, I know that I have people on my set, you know, that it just, it allows you to, I think, to interact. Yeah. And, and yeah. And everybody has their own systems, yeah. you know, for what they value. And ultimately at the end of the day, unless your relationship is dependent on where you both stand in that, in that dynamic, then I wouldn't personally, I wouldn't worry too much about that. I mean, as long as I'm doing what I feel is the best representation of a, of a friend or a partner or whatever my, my part in that relationship is, as long as I'm doing that to the fullest extent, yeah. then however they perceive it is, is, is kind of on them. If they want to yeah, place exactly. me, you know, a third yeah. tier, <laughs> hey, that's cool. And that means, yeah. Hey, if, if there are people that are one and two tiers, like I want to meet them because I want to, right. if people are better than me at this and other things, I'm like, dude, I want to learn how to be better. So I will, I will go and actively try to be better. But at the same time, if I meet those tier one and two people that this other person is placing above me, I'm like, okay. And, and if I don't feel like they're above me and I don't feel like there's a lot I can learn. And if I feel like I'm you know, in a better place or able to offer more value to that relationship than they do. If they don't place me in that value situation, I'm like, okay, well that, that says more about them than, than yes. it does about me. Yeah. But isn't it amazing when you get that perspective, how long did it take you to get to the place where you were able to do that? Have you been like that your entire life? Is it something you learned in the SEALs uh, team or, or is it? Uh, about, just, just, <laughs> about four to three years. <laughs> about four <laughs> No, because <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like it took well, me about forty-three years to figure that out, right? So uh, some people yeah. are just well, I think it, born knowing that. No, totally. I think it's a mix, though. So it's it's a constant progression, right? Like I didn't just wake up one day and realize, oh, this is the way I should live my life. Um, I've always kind of been this way ever since I was a kid. Um, I remember doing stuff when I was like four or five years old that the teacher would tell me something, and I'm like, well that doesn't make any sense. I'm not going to do it. And I was just like four or five years old. I'd, I'd tell her that and put my feet up in class and be like, I don't see how this is going to help me in my life. I'm just not going to do it. And yeah. I have one of those normal. kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's not normal. I love them. Like yeah. yeah. It's not normal for a kid to do that. Um, yes. but I think that did kind of the, the nature versus nurture thing. Um, I was probably a little bit more predisposed to that than, than most other kids, just, you know, whatever genetic happens to be there. And then my mom was very open with like, you know, freedom of, of choice and, and allowing me to kind of grow in whatever way I want. Um, one thing I was able to do that I think was super valuable, but I absolutely hated at the time, um, was when I was 15, my mom moved from where we're, we're living in uh, Santa Rosa, California to Santa Fe, New Mexico. And I absolutely hated it. I was like, dude, this place sucks. And it does suck. I, I hate, I hated living. <laughs> but, um, through that process, I ended up uh, long story short, I ended up going to three different, five different high schools in three different states. I didn't graduate any of them. And I've never, because we were so poor growing up, um, I never went to a single school from, you know, kindergarten. I never went to a single school longer than two years. So in those formative years, I never had any like really 
like strong friendship because I was always being uprooted and moving, which is as a kid is, you know, it feels terrible because that's your whole world. You feel like, Oh my God, this sucks. And my life is, is trash. But looking back, that was one of the most important and impactful things uh, and assets that I had was that uh, I was able to reinvent myself every year in every school because you're changing so much at that age. And, and you know, every three to six months, you, you could be a completely new person. Whereas if I was stuck in the same school with the same people for, you know, five, seven years, even though I would change and, and I would feel like I changed, they would always see me differently and hold me to a certain percentage of how I was, you know, the year before and yeah. the year before. Whereas going to a new school, especially, you know, before social media, there was no way for them to know who I was, how I was, you know, whether I was a, a jock or a dork or a nerd or whatever it was, I could reinvent myself, take how that school year was, um, and kind of reapply and be like, okay, well, this sucked about this year. What can I do to myself and changing myself to make sure that doesn't happen next year? And so I present myself as a, as a, a new version of me every year. So I was able to kind of use it as like a, like a hermit crab outgrowing a shell. Yeah. I was able to do that every year. So I was able to grow, I think probably more than, you know, an average, you know, teenager, um, because I wasn't held back by other people's perceptions of me. I was able to recreate myself in real time in whatever way that I wanted. But I, I was so mad at my mom for moving at that time. <laughs> I was a, I was a terrible teenager. Um, but yeah, it's, it's sometimes those, those, greatest challenges. Um, and looking back, it's not that much of a challenge, but at the time that was the biggest challenge I faced, but that's where you learn the most. I mean, if your life is smooth sailing and you never get really challenged and you never really have to overcome any obstacles, you, it's hard to find a sense of self-worth because you've never really been tested. Yes, absolutely. So, um, if you, did you ever get that high school degree? I'm curious how, how did you oh, get no. into the military without the high school <laughs> actually, degree? <laughs> no, I dropped out of high school halfway through my senior year. Right. Yeah, because my credits wouldn't transfer over. So they told me that I'd have to come back and redo the first half of my senior year again. Oh, hell no. So yeah. I was like, I was <laughs> like, dude, I'm, I'm not doing that. Like, yeah. I, that doesn't sound like it's going to further my life. I'm just not going to do it. So I went and dropped out. And they actually told me when I was dropping out, it's like, well, you'll never get into the military without a high school degree. And at the time I was like 17, like, dude, I'm never going to military. I don't care, whatever. So I got my GED like two months later. Um, and then I went to, uh, Havasu was like a jet ski bum out there for a little while. And then I went to Mammoth. Yeah. I went to Mammoth first. It was a snowboard bum for a year out there. Lift operator. That's what my son's doing right now really? out in Jackson. Oh, see? Yeah, <laughs> he's having a great time. He's it loving is, his life, life right now. Yes. Yeah, I, we had to make yeah. the, the very important life choices. Like, do I get food or beer? <laughs> and so we, yeah, we 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 Critical made the thinking compromise. Skills are are yeah are learning. We compromised. We had a we had a natty ice, which was super cheap at the time, and then a loaf of bread was like ninety eight cents, and then American cheese was like a buck fifty. So we lived on grilled cheese sandwiches and natty ice for like a year. So I did that, and then next year I went to Lake Havasu City. I was a jet ski bum for a year out there, and that put me at nineteen. And uh, I was like, wow, I, you know, this is fun and cool, but what do I want to do with my life? And that yeah. got me on the path of looking, you know, more towards the future. And then that led to you know, uh, applying for the seals and the rest of that. That's a pretty big shift in dynamics from, a like snowboard bum to not even the military alone, but like, let's go from 
snowboarding and jet skiing to to buds. Like how? Do, like, <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> that's a yeah, pretty significant a change. Like, did, are you? Did you just decide? Well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. Or like, why the seals? Well, the the reality is, I wanted to do the hardest thing I could possibly find to do because I wanted to test myself. Okay. So I came back to uh, my mom's place in 19 and I'm like, look, I haven't really, I mean, I've had some fun experiences, but you know, what am I going to do with my life and who do I want to be, you know, as a man, as a person. And this is before 9-11. So there was no, like the patriotism thing wasn't, it didn't really exist. Like the military wasn't on people's minds as it has been the last, you know, 20 something years. Um, and I was researching like, okay, what, what's the hardest thing I could possibly do? Cause I wanted to, I wanted to shoot high and if I didn't make it, but like, okay, well, I'll, I'll do the next hardest thing or whatever it was. So, uh, I, I came up with two things. It was, uh, climbing Mount Everest or becoming a Navy SEAL. And that's not because SEALs are, you know, better, worse than Green Berets or Air Force or whatever. They just have better branding. So it's like, okay, yes. <laughs> they popped up better. They have cooler yep. pictures. They look cooler. So I'm like, okay, this will be good. Um, I, I found out later that, uh, you know, it, it ended up being a really good fit for me, but I didn't, I didn't know any of that. I just know that it was, I didn't have $50,000 to climb Mount Everest. And it sounded like it would be, it would be really cool and fun. And really what got me hooked on it was that the more I researched about it, the more I respected those guys and what they went through and what they're trained in. And I wanted to respect myself as much as I respected those guys. So I was coming in 19. I didn't really know who I was and I wanted to find out. So that's why I went in was, it wasn't like patriotism or altruism or service. It was very selfishly. Like I went in for me because I wanted to find out who I was. I wanted to test myself to the, to the maximum limit and, and see if I could make it. I wanted to, to see what I was made of. So that was the main reason I went in. Um, once I went in, uh, it was totally different because uh, I, I got to know what the job was about, the people, and it, be, it became something, you know, much bigger than me and, and much more powerful. It became about, you know, the team and the guys and the mission. Uh, but I didn't know any of that going in. Yeah. But you stayed for 10 years. So it must have been meaningful to you. You don't strike me as the kind of guy that's going to stick around 10 years, something that isn't something you believe in, in doing. So. Yeah, it was a lot I'm of guessing, fun. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it was also super frustrating. I mean, the military system is not, uh, there's, there's not a lot of Jockos in, in the military or <laughs> in the SEAL teams. Jocko is definitely a, a, a unique individual. Uh, if I had more Jockos in my chain of command above me, I probably would have stayed in longer. Uh, but there's a lot of people that, that it comes back to the same thing. I, things that don't make sense. I have a really hard time going along with, yeah. and there are some things that our leadership would say and do that were completely hypocritical. And anybody's military can, can point to any leader above them and be like, okay, you're, you're kind of full of it. And it was, uh, there were some really good leaders that I had a really good relationship and, and learned a lot from, but uh, I would say even the SEAL teams, most of them, um, we're, we're kind of turdy and I was just tired of <laughs> pretending that their ideas were good and going along with it. And I have a really hard time just going along with things just because of it. Um, like I was, I was okay in the SEAL teams because we're really loose with stuff like that, but man, I would have made a terrible Marine <laughs> in the army. Yeah. I wouldn't have lasted like two weeks. Maybe yeah. even the Jockos have their flaws. Um, mm-hmm. and so 
What is one way I did see one, one of the things you put out there, which I appreciate. So my husband was killed in Iraq. And so, um, you know, I pay attention to, and, and I experienced the military, you know, he was killed by another soldier who wow. was acquitted at a court martial after he pled guilty. So let's oh go. You know. So yeah. I, I get that. Like when you talk about the military being a little for cocktail, like I totally get it. Um, that being said, it's, you know, there are people in it and the military as a whole and people who serve, I still feel very strongly about, but, uh, you said something that I haven't seen too many other people say about Memorial day in particular. And I, I love this because it's exactly how, how I feel. You, you did, you did dig deep. <laughs> I dig, I did dig deep. You know, I got to do my due diligence this is what I do. Um, but I, I love the message and we're nowhere near Memorial day, but I would love it if you just kind of shared with that, like, what is the best way to honor the people who, who do give their lives in service and, and your service as well. Um, but on Memorial day, what is yeah, the best way for people to honor that? I think you're talking about the video I did from my house, which was on, on the Bay at the time. So we were very involved yeah. in like, you know, everybody comes to Pacific beach in San Diego. It's kind of a patriotic town, um, to go and, and party and celebrate. But at, especially that time, I think that was 2017, there was a dynamic of the military that was like, no, moral days for you got to sit there and somberness and just give thanks for all this stuff. I'm like, man, is that, is that really what people gave their lives for? Like, so that you can sit around, like if, if I were to die in that situation, if I were to die in the military, the last thing I would want people to do is take a day and sit down and just be depressed all day. I would want them to go out and live their life to the fullest. If you want to go have a barbecue with your family and shoot off fireworks, dude, go do that. If you want to go to a movie, go do that. If you want whatever you want to do in your life that makes you feel like you're enjoying it to the, the absolute maximum, that is the pinnacle of what it means to be alive. That is the pinnacle of what it means to be an American and, and have freedoms to express that freedom in any way that you want. So for me, it, I never understood it when people were like, oh, you need to sit there and cry all day. I'm like, yeah, you should have some recognition of what it takes to do that. But that should be just a few minutes in your life. Just frame it in your mind and then go out there and actually live for these people that, that can't be around anymore. Like make them, I've had a lot of friends die in the service and afterwards. And, and it's, I don't think any of them would be happy with me if I sat on the couch with a bottle of Jack and was just depressed all day about them. I would think they would want me to go out and have shots at the bar with my friends and toast to them and their life and what they live for, not what they died for. Yeah. I love that. It took me a couple of years to get to that place. Uh, but I do love it. And it's something I see a lot of uh, military widows struggle with at certain phases and evolve. Like some people are like, yes, this is great. Others get offended if people are celebrating. Um, but yeah, I can't even so, imagine. I mean, to each is right, but everybody is different, but, um, I do love it when I hear people with that message and I always love to reinforce it because it, you know, it's, it's a great lesson and just shows a lot of um, growth. I think when you go through stuff, so you do 10 years in the military, you, you hop out. Did you have that struggle in the transition phase um, where you came out and you're like, well, now what the hell do I do? And you're, and I know a oh, lot yeah. of veterans come out and especially Navy SEAL <laughs> comes out and, has very little tolerance for civilians or, <laughs> or, you know, like the civilian way of life and, and all that. Did you go through any of that? 
You're laughing. I'm guessing yes. Uh, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I actually yeah. prefer it. I prefer dealing with civilians because it's more based on a meritocracy versus, uh, you know, what the pres- it's more based on what the value is you actually provide in the real world versus what the perceived value is, whatever you wear on your shoulder, which generally doesn't have anything to do with how, you know, good you are at anything. Um, so for me, yeah, a couple, couple key things, uh, we learned my business partner at the time we're, we're roommates for years and we had a bunch of crazy stories and we're best friends. Uh, it's Mike Sowers and, um, he's still a great guy. And we, we started a clothing line together and through that process, man, we learned a lot. We almost sunk that thing so many times because we just didn't understand like how how value is different in the you know civilian world versus the the military world. And even coming to the conclusion of making a clothing line was was literally the last uh, option that we thought about. We had like a dozen different ideas and everything from I mean literally a party planning business to you know every team guy wants to do a, a you know tactical business and mm-hmm. adventure business and and clothing line was the very last thing that we thought about and it ended up being uh, really good but at the same time there was a lot of learning there and we thought when we first went in like oh we're just gonna go and and get me and people and they're gonna want to work with us because we're team guys and this and that and we didn't know anything about business and the team guy thing was good. It, it got us meetings with people that we wouldn't normally have been able to get meetings with. But still, when you get in that meeting, you still have to be a good investment. You still have to provide value. You still have to be a good partner in this working relationship. And we just didn't know enough about business to to even operate or function at that level. And um, it was a really quick learning curve. And thankfully, we were able to navigate it and kind of pull up out of the nosedive we were in you know, before we completely tanked the company. Uh, it took us a couple of years though. Those, those first few years were really, uh, really difficult learning process. And I think one of the reasons that we were able to do it is because, uh, we were able to identify what went wrong and fix it. And then just, just keep trying again and again and again. Um, but yeah, I think that's what a lot of people don't do. And it's, it's particularly people that come from, like uh, what's perceived as like the the higher end of military, like special forces and all these guys. Because what happens is you're treated like, you know, a rock star in the military, like Navy SEALs in there. You get like, you go on a ship and everybody's like, oh my God, the SEALs are here. And you're like, it feels weird when you're in it, you know, because it's just you and the bros. You're like, oh, I didn't, I didn't do myself that way. Everywhere I go. (laughs) (laughs) You're treated at a different level. So you start to develop this kind of like ego and and sometimes it can get to people's heads and get out of control. And which is, which is fine. You know, you need to have a good amount of ego to go and and do great things and, and build and be big. But at the same time, when you move from an area like that, where you're really good at what you do and, and then ego goes along with that, it makes sense. Like professional athletes have the same thing where you move into a new position. So you move out of that field into something that you don't know anything about, like business. A lot of people have a really hard time kind of managing their ego and realizing that they, they don't know anything about this, this new realm they're in. And they try to operate as if they're, you know, the big fish. And in reality, what you need to do in that situation is realize, I don't know anything about this. I'm the, I'm the new guy again. And I need to come up and learn as much as I can in order to grow. And I think that's what a lot of professional athletes and, and, um, special forces guys have problems with is being the new guy again 
and being willing to take a step down, look around and learn from people who, you know, are better than you at that skill set that you're trying to get better at. And a lot of people just don't have the patience to do that. And they're not willing to kind of put their ego in their pocket and, you know, get to work. And I think that's where a lot of people struggle <clears throat> where they have these expectations and, and, you know, Mike and I did too. We have these expectations like, Oh, they're just going to work. We want to work with us because we're team guys. And very quickly we got some meetings to like, Hey guys, that's great. Great to meet you guys, but kick rocks. But, like yeah. <laughs> we, we don't want to work with you. <laughs> yeah. yeah thank we're driving you for home service, from LA but, some of these yeah. meetings. Exactly. We're like, man, we, we really need to, to learn a lot. Um, and you know, thankfully we did, it worked out and it's part of the, part of the process and the journey. But I think the biggest problem is a lot of people aren't willing to go through that process of starting at the bottom again. Yeah. And would you say, I mean, when you got out then and you're in that, that position, were there people that were younger than you that were then senior to you in business? Like, did that come into oh, it at all? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I still, I still feel like yeah. I'm 10 years behind my peers in business. Yeah. Like one of my best friends in business was, uh, he was just killed in a helicopter accident two years ago. Uh, but he's about 10 years younger than me. And I've always been like two to three years behind him. And some of the things he would say to me, like, you know, five years ago, I'm like, bro, what are you talking about? That's that, I'm like, Oh, I know, I know, you know, business, but I knew my business. He was operating at a level of businesses two to three years ahead of me. And he was totally right about what he was saying. I just didn't realize it until I got to that point in business and realized that, oh, he, <laughs> I know what he was trying to tell me now. And he's totally right. So a lot of these things, it's almost like uh, when you're going, when you're, you can only see so far on a horizon. So the visual horizon for staying six feet is around like, you know, seven miles or something like that. So I look at it as like, you can only see seven miles ahead. So if somebody's standing, you know, at six miles down the road, and they're standing on a 10 foot ladder, you can see them, but they can see so much further than you can. They can see goals. They can see problems. They can see things that, that you won't even see until you're there. And, um, that was a really powerful, uh, you know, kind of, I want to say awakening, but shift for me to realize like, dude, if I was wrong about this and I thought I knew what I was talking about, what else am I wrong about? What else do I need to learn and how fast do I need to learn it? So our business is accelerating. And if I'm going to be the right person to manage and captain that ship as it, as it grows, I need to learn and grow to become the person that's capable of, of operating that way. I don't want to be that guy who sits on his ego and be like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to be the best in this one little thing because that one little thing is, is, is not getting any bigger. It's moving backwards. I need to get continually better and better on myself personally so that I can become the person that's going to lead in this organization, lead an organization that's going to do big and great things. But if I don't progress myself, there's no way the business is going to progress. So let's talk about then that, uh, that then a business that's going to do big and great things, which is what you're at the helm of now. One of the many that you've been at the helm of uh, industry thread works, you're up there. I mean, you've, you've achieved and you're continuing to grow. I, I get, I know that. Um, but does that mean because you're so um, driven and you have such lofty goals and you're meeting them and you're crushing them, does that mean that your workplace has to be rigid and strict and miserable in order to create that <laughs> <Man>. result? <laughs> I, it's the same thing as everything else. It, yeah. It's a journey. Um, we're constantly learning how to, how to be better. I think we have a really good crew with us, um, but we're also learning that, 
as the business accelerates, we need different people. Um, and we need to bring on different people. We need to learn at different rates. Um, one of the things I've always told our team is that you can have any job you want in the company. You just have to become the best person for that job. And now, interestingly enough, uh, my wife is the COO and we're, we're potentially moving her up into the CEO position because with the team that we have now, the way that she communicates and the way that she operates, she's actually become a better CEO in this company than I am, which when I originally said that, like, Hey, you can have any job in the company. I never thought it would be, <laughs> be my job. <laughs> she's like noted. Yeah. But it's been, it's been really, uh, really exciting for yeah. me to be like, okay, I'm really not like operationally. I'm not the best choice for managing the team and growing this because our, our team response her very well. We, we focus on a lot of communication. She's very empathetic as well as extremely uh, operational oriented. So she's a fantastic fit for that. I'm realizing my role needs to move up into like a, you know, founder president role where I go out and I, I talk to people about what we're doing. I talk to other businesses, other companies. I do, you know, stuff like this yeah. because I can't grow the company anymore. Being an operator started out, it was me on a laptop and I'm doing all the work. And then she came on board and she helped me do the work. And then we hired a few people, but I was still an operator in the company until maybe a year ago. And now uh, I haven't been an operator in the company about, about six to nine months. And we're slowly getting to the point where I, I, the system functions so good and so much better than it was even when I was doing it. But now when I go back and I try to like go put my fingers and stuff and help out, like it, it messes up the machine. So now I'm having to find new roles uh, for myself is how can I further the company? How can I build to this goal we want to get to um, if my value that I used to bring to the company is no longer useful? So again, I take my ego, put it in my pocket yeah. and be like, you know what? I'm not the best person for this role anymore, but I am still good at other things. What can I do with these other things that can move all of us further down the line toward our goals? So that was kind of a... Uh, an eye-opening ego crusher, but at the same time, I think that's very indicative of, of the whole process that we've been through is, you know, if you're the right person for the job, you're going to get it and never let your ego stand in the way of your own success. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool, man. So now your wife is the CEO or she will be. How important that is that then? So what if you, can you imagine having a, a wife, a spouse, a partner who not necessarily has to work with you and go all in to the extent that yours is right. But who just doesn't get or support the entrepreneurial path or struggles with that. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I was, I was dating a girl uh, on and off for about nine years before I met Disney. And they, they sometimes say that uh, the best things in life are unanswered prayers. And I thought I was going to marry this girl and she's a super sweet person. She's a, a amazing woman, but we weren't, I'm glad things didn't work out because she never understood or believed in what I was doing. She's very much like a, a cubicle person, like yeah. go to college, get a degree, go work for a job for 20 years, move up the ladder. That, that was her, you know, idea of success. And, you know, my road looked very different than, you know, the path that she wanted to go down. So we ended up, you know, growing apart in that because we didn't appreciate each other's, you know, mm -hmm. trajectory. Uh, but now when Disney, I, Disney and I met seven years ago now, um, we've always been really good partners for each other. 
uh, and that's made a huge difference, absolutely huge difference. Um, in the relationship before, I always felt like I was, she was resenting the time that it took to actually build something. She was re- resenting, you know, the effort and the energy that I would spend trying to build something. And now with Disney, she's, uh, she's on it with me. So we're building it together. So the momentum that we're able to create together is so much more synergistic, synergistically powerful than anything I could have built on my own, let alone try to build on my own with somebody who's close to you, who's actively acting against it. So for me, um, it is difficult and we have our issues and we get, you know, mad at each other and we need our time apart. And, um, we've installed a few things that have helped us, uh, kind of, you know, cope with that and make it a lot easier. What is one of those things? I, I do this with my fiance and literally right before this, I was like, not super happy with him. Right. Like right before we hopped on there and I had to shift that and he probably wasn't super happy with me either. So I'm curious, like, what is one thing that you guys do or have in place? Cause you're going to piss each other off. Like you just can't yeah. you live together. You work together, you grow together, right? What's something yeah. that you do that can help well, other couples who are working together? I look at it and I try to frame it like a, like a business partnership. It's the most important partnership you'll ever have in your life in the most important business you have in your life which is your life. You know, how do you want your life to look? What do you want to do in your day to day? So for us, the very first thing we did was define the roles and responsibilities. And those have shifted a little bit. But if, if I have a role and my responsibility is one thing, I'll take her input on it. But ultimately, I have execute authority on whatever that is. So I'll listen to her. But if this is within my domain, and I control the yes or no on it, I'll obviously listen to her, but I'm going to make the decision I'm going to make and she has things in her life in the personal life and the business that she's in charge of. So we communicate a lot, but at the end of the day, we do have probably 80% of the things within our own life that we talk about, but she doesn't get mad if I go and do one thing. I don't get mad if she goes and does one thing. Like I like to buy old cars and she likes to buy shoes and purses. So we just don't get mad at each other about that. I'm like, okay, but we separated the funds so that we have a, we have our main business and we have our, the way we have it set up is our, our primary business here and there's a separate bank account. It's a joint bank account and we have our individual bank accounts as well. So we both contribute a percentage towards that joint bank account. And that way we pay like our, our joint bills, like, you know, rent and utilities and whatever else is with that. But our individual accounts is our own money. So she doesn't get mad when I buy my stuff. I don't get mad when she buys her stuff. That has helped us not fight about money quite a yeah. bit, which is good. Another, a couple key things which sound small, but um, we're thankful right now that we have like a, a two bedroom, two and a half bath place. So she's converted the entire second bedroom to her closet, which helps a lot. So she has her own bathroom there. I have my own bathroom, my own closet. Dude, that would save so many marriages right there. Right. Cause we spend so <laughs> yes. much time together. Yes. Like, I mean, we're at work all day. We're at home all day. Yes. It is I really nice that. That, that she can just have her space to go do girly things and try on stuff and I can, you know, do, I don't know, my manly things <laughs> in my bathroom and my closet and I can hang it the way I want and it's messy and she doesn't care. Right. So I think just having those things and removing those things that you would normally argue about and just allocating, you know, okay, what are we aligned on? What are we misaligned on? And then try to separate and put some cushion between those things or we're misaligned on. And for us, financially, it was setting up that. Uh, physically in the house, it was setting up those those personal spaces. Um, and sometimes like she'll get mad at me and, and be like, Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm really upset with you right now. I'm going to go and 
she'll be like, I'm gonna, I'll be back tomorrow. I'm like, okay. And if she wants to tell me where she's going, she does. If she doesn't, cool, whatever. And she goes, she actually, she told me later, she goes down to a little hotel and she just sits down there and goes to the beach and just chills out and be like, oh, I'm so glad I'm not with Ryan right now. You know? So for her, that works. And for me, yeah. you know, I, I enjoy just sitting at home and drinking some mezcal and listening to, you know, old records. And like, for me, that's, that's quality time with myself right. and her version looks, but I think it's super important that you both recognize that in and for each other. Um, because ultimately if you're not, if you're not providing yourself enough freedom and room to become and grow into the person that your partner is going to need, then you're holding them back and, and vice versa. So I think it's super important to, to want to nurture and grow the relationship and provide as much, you know, power momentum you can for the other person. But also it's, that it comes back to the same thing. You can't pull, you can't pour from an empty cup. So in whatever ways you need to recharge, sometimes it's like, Hey, that's, I got to go, I got to go spend a day doing this. And, you know, whatever that looks like to you is, is what you should have the freedom to go do. I mean, you know, within, within, right. reason, I'm not going to be like, <laughs> right, right. you know, well, Jade, I mean, whatever Jada, works for Jaden everybody's marriage, right? I mean, that, that, <laughs> yeah. that's what works for someone else's marriage. That's great. Uh, but no, I get that. Yeah. And I, I relate to a lot of that. We, we um, implement a lot of the same systems in our relationship. He's more tolerant to me because I get to the point now I'm like, dude, I'm doing this in everybody. It is in everybody's best interest. If I give myself a timeout right now, <laughs> I'm like, and that's all I'm going to say. Like, so if you don't want to give it to me, I'm not responsible for what happens <laughs> next. You know, I, like, I've heard, I've heard something similar from, from yeah. Disney. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so, right. so, right. So she gets me, I get her. All right. Look, I, I could keep you on here all day. I feel like you are, you have so many things dialed in. You could teach like 500 different courses on your own, but I do want to get to this last uh, question before we yeah. have to let you go. Um, one reason we started American Snippets is because even a few years ago, I realized in particular, this is how it started with me. I realized that the divisiveness in this country was bringing me back into a depression I worked so hard to get out of. I felt like for me, like all of the pain that I've just validated the loss, my husband's sacrifices that I just found a purpose in was being removed, right? And with people shitting on our country and saying that they hate it really and blaming mm -hmm. it for their problems. So then I talked to Dave. I'm like, I have this this idea. Like, I, I, I don't know how to fix this. And he was the entrepreneur introduced me to this. He said, we'll start a podcast and we'll get this message out and we'll bring all these amazing, mm -hmm. extraordinary people with these life lessons and importance to people. Right. And one of those things that was under attack that we defended was the American dream. Um, people just continue to say, and even more so now they're saying the American dream is dead. It's a fallacy. It's only available to certain colors or classes or people. Uh, we disagree with that. We think it is alive and well for everybody, but our key differentiating factor is that we understand it looks different for everybody. There is no one version of the American dream for every single person. That's what makes it so beautiful. So with that, that lead up there and that explanation, I'd like to ask you, what is your version of the American dream? Freedom in whatever flavor that means to the individual, yeah. you know, perceiver. But I think if anybody's complaining about stuff now, they really have not paid attention to history or the last couple of decades because Right now, with the assets and the capabilities that are available to you on a cell phone, right now is the most opportune time to become self-made and self-financed and become whatever you want than there's ever been in the history of humankind. I mean, it really is a unique situation. I don't know if it's going to get better or worse from here, but this is the pinnacle of, of you know, human uh, freedom. To, to create yourself. I mean, you have one viral video on, you know, TikTok or Instagram, and now you've got opportunities presented to you. It's up to you to capitalize on them. 
but also you've got you've got an endless endless supply of communication and contacts and there's a world out there that you can be connected to at a moment's notice that you know 10 years ago 20 years ago that opportunity did not exist so if anybody's saying that the american dream is for one person or for the other i'm saying if you have an internet access you have every single opportunity that anybody else has just you have the willingness to make the sacrifice that it's going to take to, to go through it. And it's like that family thing we talked about is everybody has the option of saying, no, it's like, well, you don't understand there's consequences. There's consequences to, to every action, but you always have a choice. You might not like the consequences of the choice, but you always have a choice. You don't have to say yes. You don't have to say no. And I think if more people would sit down and really figure out what their goal is in life, where they want to go, what they want to do, what they want their life to look like on a day-to-day basis or a yearly basis or the experiences they want to have, it'll make it a lot easier to analyze these, these situations they're in and really ask themselves a very simple question. Is this getting me closer to my goal or further away from my goal? And now, obviously, there's you know <laughs> consequences to each of them, but now you can really define the choice. And I think people who they like to find excuses for why they're not successful and it's a crutch to them. And that's why it's so divisive too, is because if you kick a crutch out from somebody, then they're faced with the reality that their own success or failure is up to them on their own path. And there's nobody to blame but themselves. They hate that. They can't deal with that because then it's not somebody else that's holding them down. It's themselves. And most people aren't ready for that truth. They're not ready for that realization. That's why they hold this crutch of, Oh, the, the man's keeping me down or, I can't get ahead because, you know, somebody's oppressing me. And dude, we just had a black president for eight years. He got reelected. I'm like, there's no higher position in the world. Are we really racist? We just elected a black president for eight years. I mean, and if we are, how the hell did he get elected? And if, if he's, if he's elected, how are we going to say that there's inherent bias and racism? I mean, people have perceptions or whatever, but the facts are that the numbers just don't support it. And this is why I always go back to, you know, the reality of things. So what, what are the facts? What, what is actually going on? And um, people have opinions all day about a bunch of things, but what it really comes down to is what is the truth? You know, what are we really making decisions on? And if we're making decisions on anything other than the truth, what kind of solution are we setting up for? What kind of life are we presenting for ourselves? If we're, just perpetuating a fallacy. So I think people should really get down on, on two things. Number one, what they really want out of life and where they want to go. And two, ask themselves the truth of how to get there and what's holding them back. So um, when you run for Congress one day, I'll support you. <laughs> just saying. Oh, man. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't think I'll ever do that. I know, I know. I but man, about the military too, though. <laughs> that, I know. That's true. That's true. But man, we need uh, more people like that. And that right there just opened up probably another three hours conversation I could get into with you. Um, but we can't. So look, I really appreciate you taking the time for real, to sit down and talk with us today. You just packed such value into this whole episode. I can't wait to go back and digest it and pull out all the nuggets. But let's not end completely without talking about your company now um, and give people the website where they can go find out because you do provide a lot of great services to people who are starting their own version of that oh. American dream. So yeah. Yeah, just, thanks. And, and yeah. thanks for what you guys are putting out. I think this is hugely valuable for the American way of life. And and just preserving the freedoms that that people take for granted. Well, I'm I'm really glad you guys are doing this. 
Thank you for having me on. Um, our website is uh, industrythreadworks.com. And it has some stuff what we do, but if, but if people are looking for information on, you know, starting a business or running their own apparel line, uh, I'd, I'd rather push them to our YouTube channel. We don't monetize it. There's no like ads or anything like that. Uh, but it's uh, youtube.com slash Invictus5326. And uh, my Instagram is also Invictus5326. Uh, 5326 is the naval enlisted code for SEAL. So that's why you'll see so many like team guys have it on there. Um, but yeah, that's the best place. And, uh, I would love to hear, we put out a lot of stuff on YouTube, but if people have other questions, we're always looking for new things to address and new problems to solve. So they want to be on there and if they don't find the answer to something, just DM me. And I'm, you know, I love to learn if there's something I haven't put out yet. I want to learn the answer to it so I can share it. Excellent. Ryan, thank you so much. Dude, thanks for having me. All right, there you have it, everyone. That wraps up another episode of the American Tippets Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Appreciate you being here and spending a little bit of your time with us here on the show. I'd like to personally thank Ryan Williams for being here as well and sharing his story. Um, and thank you so much, Ryan, too, for your service. If you want to learn more about Ryan Williams and his company, just head on over to americansnippets.com forward slash newsletter. You can check out the show notes, uh, re-listen to the podcast, watch the video interview. And we also include some links there that you can use to follow Ryan Williams on social and follow his company, Industry Threadworks, as well. Again, we appreciate you being here today. And as always, each and every uh, week, all that we ask is that you share this podcast with a friend, let people know what we're doing here, share one of your favorite episodes on social, make sure you follow us on social as well, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at American Snippets. Uh, we also have our patriotic, freedom-loving community um, of Americans who believe in the American dream and the core values and principles that our country was founded upon. Uh, we're all about self, family, community, and country. And right now we're giving away a free t-shirt just for checking it out. Uh, you can find that over at americansnippets.com forward slash newsletter uh, as well. Again, thank you so much for tuning in today. Now go out there and show the world how exceptional you really are.